Come in. Here we go again. Up early, feed the dog, out the door, traffic, at the office, boss in some kind of mood today, no time for lunch, annoying co-worker, no time to relax, bedtime. Then we gotta do it all again? Uh, no way. Because the best way to break up the mundane every day is to play. At Wild Rose Casino and Resort. Slots, tables, sports, and a whole lot of perks when you join and play with your club wild card. So, let's play. Wild Rose Casino and Resort, Clinton. Hello there, and welcome to the Hawk Fanatic Mailbag Podcast. I am your host, Rob Howe. It is Tuesday, November the 14th, oh, about 9.50 a.m. Central Time. Two weeks left in the regular football season. That is hard to believe um, that we've gotten here this fast. Iowa 8-2 and two and 5-2. and two, uh, two games clear of everybody else in the West Division. Basically, Iowa just needs to win a game, uh, and even... I guess Iowa would, could lose both games and still make it, put it that way, because the other two teams that are in the race, the two teams they play the next two weeks, um, Illinois and Nebraska, if Iowa loses both games against those two teams and one or both of those teams wins both of their games, then there would be a tie and a, a tiebreaker would have to come. And those guys, you know, those teams would have head to head with Iowa just like Iowa is head to head with Minnesota. Um, I think that's everybody that's, that's uh, three and four right now in the league. If, if I remember correctly, but I don't have the standings in front of me, but basically Iowa is in the driver's seat with plenty of room, uh, put it that way. So uh, good deal. We'll get a chance to uh, get back to Indy for a third time since 2015. First time, uh, or the second time in three years, which is uh, pretty impressive. Last season for the West Division, so this is a could be the best opportunity for Iowa to make it to the Big Ten Championship game uh, for a while. Uh, we'll have to see how things shake out with the four-pack. Twelve schools coming in and, um, you know, kind of how that uh, works you know, what that process is like, how those teams acclimate, what the travel's like, all that. But we're in the here and now, and the here and now is Iowa should get a shot at either Michigan or Ohio State in Indianapolis. I believe that is December 3rd. Um, so probably a good time if you're wanting to go watch that to uh, make some travel arrangements. Uh, I don't know what the ticket situation is like, but uh, – um, Hotel situation in Indy can be a little tricky, so uh, you might want to get on that if you're considering going down. There a lot of good stuff happening in Hawkeye athletics right now. Uh, the women's basketball team, 3-0, and uh, after a dominant win against UNI on Sunday up in Cedar Falls. That was all on the heels of a Thursday nationally televised victory against Virginia Tech in Charlotte, and then a uh, Opening night victory against, I can't remember who, somebody not very good, and Iowa had its way. Um, Iowa is second in the country, got jumped by South Carolina, who had a couple of top 25 wins. Iowa had one. I thought Iowa would move from three to one, uh, but I get it. Um, I will just kind of see that the rankings really are uh, discussion because it really doesn't matter, especially in basketball, uh, when you get to uh, – March, everybody's – it's kind of a clean slate in a lot of ways. So what happens during the season, but it certainly can help Iowa uh, 
you know, in the push to get a number one seed. And that's really important. That would likely keep Iowa at home, obviously, for the first two rounds, but then closer than having to go to Seattle uh, for the Sweet 16 like last year and maybe make it easier for Iowa fans to travel if they're local, um, closer, I guess, in the region when they get to the Sweet 16. Uh, the men are 2-0 and and a huge game tonight, again, Tuesday, November the 14th, 9-10 p.m. Central Time. Hawkeyes are in Omaha to face number eight Creighton. A tough challenge for Iowa to be the best game or the best the best competition either one of these teams has faced so far. Um, I think Creighton is like 30 for 66 from three-point range. So, um, obviously, this is going to be an enormous test for Iowa's defense. Uh, Iowa's defense has played well so far. I think holding opponents to around 22, 23% from three-point range uh, and around 38%, I think, on field goals. But degree of difficulty goes up a great deal tonight. Uh, Iowa women's soccer moves on in the Big Ten or in the NCAA tournament. Beat Bucknell Friday night in front of, front of a record crowd. Um, and by the way, the women set a record uh, in Cedar Falls uh, at the McLeod Center for Sunday's game, the Northern Iowa Iowa game. We're going to see a lot of those this year with the Caitlin Clark effect. But congrats to Dave Diani and the Iowa women's soccer team moving on in the NCAA tournament. You can get, um, I think, Max Murphy, uh, advanced uh, men's cross-country runner. Uh, a lot of good stuff happening in Iowa athletics. Go check out Haw- HawkeyeSports.com. Uh, they will give you the ins and outs. They have the resources to cover some of the sports that the rest of us in the media do not have the finances to cover as frequently as we used to be able to. And uh should mention the Iowa field hockey team was eliminated, eliminated from the NCAA tournament by Louisville out in Evanston last weekend. So a season that started with great promise and a number one ranking does not finish as strongly as Lisa Salucci and that program would have liked, but uh, still, in, still a very strong program and a lot coming back. Uh, they had the freshman of the year in the league. So um, good things happening there. Again, check out Hawkeye Sports. Also, hawkfanatic.com hosts a lot of the uh, Olympic sports um, results and stories. So check that out as well. Uh want to get into your questions here because we have quite a few. Uh, Drake Timbers, who changed his name again uh, to It's Over 2024, Aliens Will Take Our Moon. Um, and if you've have any history with Drake Timber and his questions on this podcast, uh, you're probably chuckling or at least smiling right now, which is good. Um, that's good to have uh, laughter in life, right? So, uh, and Drake, and this is from November 7th, by the way, which was he must have got in after I completed last week's podcast. Um, we do these every Tuesday morning, between, usually about 8.45, 9 o'clock. I try to get him in because I have to go to uh, – uh, interview Iowa football players at 11 over at the complex um, for at least for a couple more weeks. And then maybe this will get pushed back a little bit more uh, into the mornings on Tuesday. But anyway, I digress. This was sent to me last Tuesday after I had stopped recording. And it's a good time for the PSA. Uh, hashtag HF mail, HF mail, hashtag uh, anytime between the time I 
hit stop or end recording on this podcast and the time I crank up the next one, send it anytime during the week if you have a question, uh, comment, anything like that, and we will pick up where we left off last week. Uh, it's funny. There are some folks that uh, when I, when I send out the bat signals, usually on Monday nights asking, soliciting questions from you guys, uh, there's usually a few folks that are left over from uh, when I it covered the racial bias uh, story in the Iowa football program back in 2020. Who still, uh, I still get under their skin and they send uh, telling me to go F myself. There was one of those this morning and I laughed that these people actually take time out of their day to send those things to me. Um, but it's funny and I don't care. And it doesn't affect me like it used to. Thank God. Spend a lot less time on Twitter X these days, uh, which is great for my health. Uh, use it the way I should use it and, uh, not get on there and be, uh, have an addiction. I think a lot of folks have addictions to that platform and other social media platforms. And, uh, I'll get off my uh, soapbox now and read Drake's question. And thank you for telling me to go F myself. Um, I'm going to pass on that, at least for today. Um, can, can both be true? Doyle's culture was toxic and was the best at preventing injuries. Let's forgive everyone. Doyle, Akram, Brandon Snyder, DJK, and ourselves for our own trespasses. Because empathy is a fate telepathic metapower, which humans can harness into real telepathy. Tele- telepathy, tele- telepathy, man, I can't talk. That means I need to take a coffee sip. Need some more energy this morning. Um, yeah, telepathic meta power. Te- I have, I'm ch- having trouble with telepathy, telepathy, telepathy. All right. Anyway, if you, again, if you are familiar with Drake um, and his contributions to this podcast, you're not um, surprised or weirded out by by the end of that. But, yeah, um, I'm fine. I mean, if you think about it, um, two of the better players in the Kirk Ferentz era, DJK and Akron, are no longer really connected to the program. Uh, you look at somebody like Ronnie Harmon, there are a lot of, lot of uh, I say a lot, but too many legendary players in this program, great players, all big 10, all American type players that uh, don't have a connection to the program anymore. I'm not sure a lot of the guys from the, the Fry era have a, a close, close relationship with uh, the current program. Um, but, you know, that's 25 years now of players that didn't play for coach Fry. So um, I kind of get it anyway. Um, no, this place is better without Doyle. Um I've heard enough stories about that, and this goes to the uh, the idiot that uh, told me to go F myself this morning, um, that that was <laughs> – it was two studies, two reports, two um, – yeah, studies is a good word um, – found racial bias in the Iowa football program. It was admitted by the football program. All of that is factual. Uh, and I've got, if you need information or more information on what went on, I, I can help you in that regard. And whether Doyle was the main um, culprit, 
he was the the at the foundation of the racial racial bias. He certainly was involved, but he wasn't the only one. Um, and everybody else else remained. Um, but I think things have gotten better since then, and I'm not sure they were would have had he remained. I mean, you can just listen to um, how the wash up washed up walk ons talk about Doyle and talk about it being tough love and it not being anything racial. Bullshit. It was found to be racial. And the reason the white washed up walk-ons don't want to acknowledge that it's, that it was racial and not just tough love is because they were a part of the problem as members of the leadership group in 2017, where I think there were 15 to 20 guys on there and two of them were African-American. Every other one that was white and the washed up walk-ons were on that. So they were in the program when some of the worst stuff was going on. So, you know, I know they have a great following and I know uh, people like to listen to them and that's fine. If you enjoy listening to them, that's fine. But they were a huge part of the problem. Um, They will never admit that. And they just try to trash people that um, try to acknowledge that. But trust me, I know a lot more people that played football in this program than the washed up walk-ons and have talked to many of them, many of them African-American during the summer of 2020 and beyond, and uh, feel pretty comfortable in my evaluation of this situation. Um, I'm going to protect the people that I spoke to because they spoke to me on the condition of anonymity and told me what was going on with inside the walls of that program. So, no, I'm not forgiving Doyle. If he's the scapegoat and everybody else has to remain, then he deserved what he got, right? Um, Jesse Lucier, what would you say interferes with the integrity of the game more? An athlete betting on sports that they're not participating in or a coaching staff allegedly stealing signs from nearly every opponent for three years? I don't mean to sound snarky, but really? Um, yeah, I, I think they're two separate things, Jesse. Um, you know, I think both break the rules. Um, obviously, um, I just, as much as I've discussed this about the NCAA and how they handle this gambling and Scott and I have talked about this on the hotspot podcast on Thursday, they fumble this like the NCAA normally does. Um, you know, we all saw coming down the once the sports were legalized in states like Iowa and around the country beyond um, Nevada, the NCAA should have got on it and you know been proactive instead reactive and and ended up ruining um, not ruining but really negative negatively impacting guys like Noah Shannon. And they made a mistake, and they should have been punished for it. But to um, suspend them for the season, then come back in the middle season and tell them it's there's a, a good chance he's a great chance he's going to come be able to get back on the field, and then tell them two weeks later that he can't is just to me it's cruel, and, and it's, it can be avoided with the amount of money that is invested in the NCAA and its partners have, this should not happen. It just shouldn't. Um, You know, put your resources somewhere else to support the student-athletes. This was not supporting the student-athletes. And I'm not trying to 
um, completely forgive Noah and, and others who bet on sports in their department. You can't do that. I get that. We've talked about how that compromises the integrity. But, yeah, you make a good point, Jesse. Um, you know, two wrongs don't make a right, so to speak. I think the gambling thing was handled very, very poorly from, from, the, from the start uh, to the finish. And hopefully um, that saves further student-athletes from having to – to have their lives impacted as much as they have. Um, so, yeah, it's – it's you don't sound snarky, Jesse. I think you make a good point. And uh, uh, it's it, all, it goes to the NCAA and the Big Ten and people in charge here. Uh, and you have to understand, too, uh, that Michigan is a huge cash cow in this uh, and will be protected at all costs within uh, within the world of PR. You know, they they want to, you know, lay the hammer down on Jim Harbaugh and suspend him for three games. Um, so, but in the, you know, as we saw at Penn State, in the, in, the, uh, in the grand scheme of things, I'm not sure it matters that much. Scott Trunkel, Trunkhill at Corvairs. Haven't heard from you in a while, Scott. Thanks for checking in. Did, they, did I remove the TV crew to the other side of the table or did they get tired of trying to see around Dr. Feller? That's a good question, Scott. I don't know, but I did notice that last week when I was over there that uh, – who was it? I think it was Settles. He was all the way over on the opposite side of where um, Feller sits. And he's the – for those that don't know, he's the guy usually dre- decked out in a very loud black and gold outfit who screams at the officials from around midcourt on the Iowa side, opposite the Iowa bench, I should say, but on the Iowa side of the court. Um and Robbie Hummel and other announcers um, commented and joked and about him getting in the way of them trying to call a game because he's standing up. But, yeah, I don't know if they did that themselves or if Iowa made that move, uh, but funny nonetheless. Good, uh, good observation there, Scott. And it looks like somebody commented, <laughs> probably should have asked Jess Settles this. Yes, Jess was who I saw last week. And, uh uh, he looked like he could see the court pretty well. So hopefully he called a good game. I did not hear it because I was there. Um, AP Hawk, AP Hawkeye at Andy Paul Rules, a frequent contributor to the podcast. Hi, Rob. Assuming Iowa wins out, could you make a case for Kirk Ferentz as Big Ten Coach of the Year? I think you could. But unfortunately, the national narrative surrounding the offense will probably keep it from happening. Maybe. If Iowa goes nine and or what would it be seven and two in conference, um, he's in the discussion. I think some it happened. Whatever Northwestern does, um, if Northwestern gets bowl eligible, I'm not sure how you don't give it to David Braun. Um, what he's done there after you know the Pat Fitzgerald drama and uh, controversy and the hazing uh, that happened at Northwestern um, over the summer. He barely had time to even prepare to be a head coach for the season. And what he's done has been amazing. I mean, what they did at Wisconsin last, they looked better at Wisconsin than Iowa did. Um, you know, Iowa needed uh last second field goal or last minute field goal, I guess, to beat them in Wrigley Field. Um, they beat Minnesota. 
Um, they've got decent wins. And uh, he, to me, he's my leader right now, but I want to see how the rest of the season plays out. I think Northwest, I know Northwestern finishes with Illinois. Um, and I'm not sure who they have this week. Maybe Purdue? I can't remember. But anyway, uh, if if uh, Northwestern finishes five and four in conference, he's the coach of the year to me. Um, and then I think you can also make a case for Ryan Day um, if Ohio State's beat Ohio State beats Michigan. But here's my daily um, scam likely call. It comes in every morning around this time. If you heard that buzzing in the background, um, but yeah, I, certainly AP Andy, you can make a case for uh, for Kirk. Uh, you know, it depends on how you look at it, right? If you say, well, he's the guy who has presided over his son as offensive coordinator for the last three years when Iowa has been historically bad on that side of the ball, what could have happened had they had a decent offense, you know, a decent offense during that time. Um, but you also have to give him credit for uh, he and his staff for keeping this squad together with some big time injuries that have happened uh, to the team this year. So certainly I think if you're asking me right now to um, I, I think it's probably between Kirk and Braun. And then I think if, if Ohio state wins, Ryan day is in that conversation. I'm not sure Jim Harbaugh is because he will have only coached six games this year. Cause he was suspended for the first three and the last three of the season. So I don't know. Do what you uh, what you will, but I think Kirk is right there with David Braun and probably Ryan Day, and I can't really think of anybody else. Nobody else in the West deserves it, and anybody in the East, you can give it to James Franklin. Um, maybe Loxley is in the conversation, Chiano in the conversation, but I'm not sure how you give it to either one of them over Kirk or Braun at this point. 44 MLS, a weekly contributor. To the podcast. Uh, Rye, Rob, do you think Barry Goldwater would have been more surprised with Iowa's play calling this weekend or Michigan's running on every play in the second half against me as you? <laughs> and he's got two laughing, crying, laughing emojis. In all seriousness, what was the what was different about Iowa's offense this past weekend? I made a Barry Goldwater comment in my preview last weekend. Um and I still think Barry, Barry Goldwater would be proud of Iowa's offense and the conservatism of it. Um, but I digress. Uh, I, you know, I, we were talking about this on the uh, Rapid Reaction podcast last. Um, and I think uh, Jordan Canzeri, Jovan Johnson had some really good insights on this stuff we had been talking about on that podcast throughout the season. They went empty backfield, uh, stacked receivers ran some jet sweep or motion that forced Rutgers to communicate and and it just made it more difficult, made it so it wasn't so predictable. Things with just nothing crazy less, but just things that we've kind of been talking about. And I think part of that is um Deacon becoming more comfortable, the offense evolving um, them feeling more comfortable because the playbook was certainly more open the other day. Um, if you don't, if you didn't see that, I, I guess you probably aren't paying attention or, or not watching. Uh, cause it was just, there were just different, nothing again, 
no wholesale changes, no major changes, but just less predictability and forcing the defense again to to communicate, to move, to try to figure out what Iowa is doing rather than just lining up with eight and nine in the box, stopping the run on first and second down, uh, and then just blitzing Hill on third down uh, and getting them the punt. So a lot of, lot of things there, but uh, I would, I definitely would recommend going back and listening to the rapid reaction podcast with, uh, with Jovan and, and Jordan cans. Um, because those guys have real good insight on what they saw Saturday. Good, good running. A lot. Of, it just it set everything up. You were building on it. Now you have an opportunity to build on what you did last week, and hopefully that continues the next two weeks. But I still would anticipate very, very conservative play calling, special, especially early in the game. It's going to be a field position uh, rock fight again. I think against Illinois and probably against Nebraska too. Both of those teams are defensive oriented, despite. Illinois putting up 48 on a crappy Indiana defense last week. Another one from Les, and then we will take a break here. Uh, what's your take on the Michigan situation, and how do you see this playing out? I f- get a feeling Harbaugh is not the most popular coach among Big Ten coaches, even before the current scandal. Thoughts? No, he's not. Yeah, I'm not sure he has a friend among Big Ten coaches. Not that the Big Ten coaches are friends and hang out, but they're cordial. They talk before games. Again, this may have changed since then. But I think it was 2017 when Iowa beat and upset, or was that 16? 16, excuse me, when Iowa upset um, Michigan uh, at Kinnick Stadium after getting blown out at Penn State the previous week. That's Iowa getting blown out at Penn State the previous week. But Michigan was going for the playoff. They were top five, when were they three, two or three that year, uh, came in here and lost. And uh, usually before the game, the head coaches meet. And that, you know, it depends. Sometimes it's longer than others. Like the Iowa staff was pretty close with Fitz. So they would joke and he would talk to, you know, Seth Wallace and Phil Parker. He'd spend time with assistant coaches. But most of the time, at least the two head coaches meet around midfield before the game um, while their teams are warming up and shoot the shit. Um, But that was the only time up to that point. Uh, I always you always look and just kind of see how they're getting along. Jim Harbaugh, Kirk went out to midfield. You kind, it's kind of a ritual that they do. You kind of you know both no one doesn't go to the other. They kind of just meet at midfield. It's like this I don't know this macho thing or whatever. Uh, but Kirk went out to his usual spot at Kinnick where the other coaches meet him, and Harbaugh never never came over. So um, that's just one example that I have. But I know he's not very well liked in the league. Um, and I think that has to do with some of the recruiting tactics um, and also just because he's kind of weird. Um, and uh, obviously him stealing signs. And I just have a hard time when these head coaches say they don't know what's going on in their program. And that's from when that's from back in. And, and I'll include Iowa in this and the 2020 story I re- referred to earlier. Um Kirk had trouble remembering things that were happening like that happened like within five or 10 years during the, when this stuff was going on. But he also can remember like 1980, you know, plays from 1981. These guys know what's going on in their program from top to bottom. The good coaches know everything. They've got their finger on everything or, and they have people in the building that keep them informed. Uh, Paul Federici is the guy for Kirk Ferentz. He is the, 
director of something or other over there, but basically he just noses around everything that's going on in the building and make sure that everything's going the way Kirk wants it to go. So Kirk doesn't have to worry about it, but uh, yeah, Harbaugh saying he doesn't know about the, the sign stealing thing is full of shit. If you ask me. Um, And on that note, let's see if we can't pull up the Systems Unlimited read. Yes, we can. Support for the podcast comes from Systems Unlimited, celebrating 50 years of providing services to people living with disabilities and mental health needs throughout East Central Iowa. A list of their services and upcoming events can be found at sui.org. That is SUI.org, Systems Unlimited, doing great work in our community for over half a century, and we really appreciate their support of this podcast and all the podcasts here on the Hawk Fanatic feed. Let's hear from a few more sponsors here, and I will be back shortly to answer more of your questions. Hi, I'm Jim Street, owner of Streets Maintenance. As a licensed, insured, and bonded master plumber, I specialize in all plumbing repairs, including but not limited to water heater and sump pumps to toilet and faucet repairs and replacements. For more information about my business, I'm online at streetsmaintenance.com and Facebook, or give me a call at 400-4483. 400-4483. Hi, this is AJ Perez, managing partner at Deary Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Waukee and Iowa City. I'm so proud of our team at both locations. We are committed to one thing, giving our customers the absolute best when it comes to service and a car buying experience, the kind of experience that brings you back. What makes us different? We believe at Deary, we don't just sell cars, we help people buy them. Do you need a great electrical contractor or fire and water restoration specialist? Well, contact Lance Bolin at LB Electric and LJ Construction in North Liberty. Lance has served the corridor for many years and is ready to help you. Call Lance Bolin at 319-640-1116. That's 319-640-1116. Or visit LJ underscore construction on Instagram for licensed and insured electrical work, fire and water restoration, and remodeling. And we are back. Flo uh, warmed up my coffee during the break, so we may have some sips moving forward. Thank you to Flo uh, for keeping me uh, keeping me in warm coffee. Um, I joke. That's a really old reference to a sitcom called Alice from back in the, I think that was 70s or 80s, um, in Kiss My Grits. All right. What's the, this is Golden Handcuffs at Golden Handcuffs on Twitter. What's the over under for how many times Cooper DeGene touches the ball on offense the rest of the regular season? Uh, 0.5. So you're saying it's, it's, uh, I, I don't, I know you're joking. Um, I was a little surprised we didn't see him at all last week, but it seemed like Caleb Brown was kind of put into that role a little bit. I think we'll see him again. Um, I think it could be, building off of what they did last time with a throw um, or something like that, let him catch a pass, something different from, like I said, you, you put plays on films, film, some that work, some that don't work. But if a team is preparing for you, they have to prepare for all that, the plays that work and don't work, because the ones that don't work could work against them. So 
you the more you put on film, especially at this point in the season, what Iowa did last week not only was helpful in the game against Rutgers, but it's helpful in going forward here in these last two games because of the Illinois and Nebraska staffs having to prepare for what it saw on Saturday against Rutgers. That in and of itself is a win. So um, I, I'll take the over there, golden handcuffs, but uh, I could also see them trying to preserve him for special teams and uh, and obviously defense, which is lights out right now. Hold <laughs> these up here. Let me give these to you real quick. Um, the 127 total yards allowed is the fewest um, since the South Dakota last year in that whatever it was, seven, what was that game? Seven, five, seven, six, seven, four, I can't remember, seven, three. Um, uh, Iowa's defense has allowed one t- touchdown or less in eight of the last 10 games. 17 of the last 23 games. Iowa's allowed 14 or fewer points in 16 of 23 games. Iowa's defense has allowed one touchdown in the last four games. I mean, you just go down the list, and the defense is just getting better and better. And you don't want to take Cooper DeGene off of that because he is a huge component of that. And I don't think Iowa has a lot of depth at that position right now. Um, So something to keep in mind there when you're, Wondering about Cooper DeGene playing offense. Golden Handcuffs with another question here. Uh, did you notice that Brian wasn't wearing a single Iowa logo on the sideline? Is that some sort of silent protest? I did not notice that, and I took photos of him. Um, does everybody wear Iowa gear? Something with Iowa on it? I would think. Most of the time, I guess I don't pay attention to that that much, but, man, um, hopefully that wasn't calculated and planned out for a guy that's, you know, at his alma mater and uh, has made a lot of money <laughs> here. Um, I mean, he's been the, what, 1920, seven years at, uh, you know, starting, I think he started at what, 750, um, 750,000 a year and was up over nine, close to a million there before getting bumped back by Barta last year. Yeah. Um, that would not be cool. If that, but I'll keep an eye on it this week, Golden Handcuffs. I'll see. Uh, I'll make sure to get pregame pictures of him and compare them to pictures that I've taken before to see if uh, it actually was the case where uh, it was calculated to not wear any Iowa stuff. But interesting, t- interesting info uh, that I will look into. Thanks for sending that over, uh, Drake Timbers. Again, uh, in the movie Harry and the Henderson, it's Harry and the Hendersons, isn't it? So you forgot the S there. Mr. Henderson's tragic flaw is his instinct to protect his family, which turns him into the real monster who oppresses Bigfoot, leaving poor Harry out in the cold. Could KF cure Texas A&M's tragic flaw for extravagance and win a ship in three years? I don't see that. I That is a... And I've talked about this before through the years, and I feel like this now more than ever in this landscape of college athletics, it is all about fit, man. It's where you fit. Um, you know, we see fits. Chris Kleiman fits at Kansas State. Um, Dan Lanning fits at Oregon. Hell, Lane Kiffin fits at Old Miss. Saban fits at Alabama. Smart fits at Georgia. Kirk Ferentz fits at Iowa. 
That's the important thing. Kirk Ferentz doesn't fit at Michigan. He might, and it may it might work out, but this is his fit. Um, maybe not Ohio State. Probably not. Um, you have to find where you fit. Todd Licklider did not fit at Iowa. Steve Alford really didn't fit at all at Iowa. Tom Davis and Fran McCaffrey, they fit at Iowa. They fit the program. They fit the the community. They fit the the um tone or viewpoints or um viewpoints of ever, but just kind of the tone of the fan base, what the how the fan base is. I don't see Kirk meshing with the fan base at Texas AM. And He's not coaching anywhere else as a head coach other than Iowa. I don't think. I don't know why he would. All right. Craig Zudema. Is it Zudema or Zudema? Uh, you let me know, Craig, if I've butchered your name, because you won't be the first or the last person on this podcast uh, or generally in my life that I will mispronounce a name. Uh, ask Emily. Uh <laughs> Brian received a lot of praise for his play calling last week. Iowa broke a lot of tendencies and had success. Did the play calling finally change because the Ferences are cha- are changing for Brian's next job? <laughs> I, I know what happened Saturday certainly helps Brian's resume, but I'm not sure how much he can do here in these next three games. Or I guess it would be five games or what? Four games, right? Two regular season, Big Ten championship, bowl game, four games. I'm not sure if you cl- include um, because Northwestern wasn't good either. If you include from the point from Rutgers forward here, I'm not sure he can do enough really to change a outside opinion of him um, for his next job. I, for I don't know if we see him coach next year. Um, but I think he's probably a position coach in the NFL. I think that probably suits him best. He's going to have a tough time getting a job in college, uh, not only based on his performance over the last three years, but also he has um, the baggage of his involvement in the racial bias in 2020. Um, so that's going to be a, make him a hard sell for colleges, I think, uh, unless you hired him as an offensive line coach. Uh, that would probably work. Um, but I don't know, you know, what level of program would, would hire him for that. Um, and, and what that would, what that would look like. I think it's probably better for him just kind of, uh, fading into the background of an, as, as an NFL position coach. Um, you don't hear a lot about position coaching coaches in the NFL, just coordinators and the head coaches, uh, more often than not. So I think that would be good for him. And he certainly, has connections as the as, as his father does in the NFL, um, and uh, but that landing the parachute into New England may not be there much longer because uh, Bill Belichick appears to be uh, on the wrong side of things right now this year. I think they're two and seven or something like that. It's bad, uh, and I am not crying or shedding a single tear for them as a Jets fan. That freaking Monday Night Football, or was that Sunday Night? That was Sunday Night. Crappy way to end the week. Anyway, Hawkeye Sanity at Hawkeye Sanity. Something I've noticed about Brian's tenure is it's amazing. And I'm not picking on you guys. It's just I was talking to somebody else in the media yesterday about traffic on uh, stories that we write. And 
you know, obviously women's basketball and Caitlin Clark does pretty well and football usually does well. Um, but if you write about Brian, um, people read it. Um, it's like, I think it's rubbernecking. It's like driving by a crash scene. Uh, cause that's really what it is right now. Um, and we saw a little bit of that yesterday when, uh, and I forgot to mention this early that Spencer Petrus was entering the transfer portal. I think I have a question on that coming up, so I won't dive into that too much, but, um, he's, he and Spencer and Brian are, I've been in the crosshairs for Iowa fans the last three years. So, um, I think turning the page on that is probably better for everyone. Um, Something I've noticed about Brian's tenure, this is Hawkeye saying it. Something I've noticed about Brian's tenure is that when something on offense seems to start to work, they completely go away from that next week. I, I OSU to Wisconsin in 17. Do you think that will happen this week? And the Iowa offense goes back to laying eggs. Here's the way I analyze it. Hawkeye sanity. And I agree with your point here. Um, and I think that happens within games sometimes where things work. And then we try like a a jet sweep to Nico Ragini, Ragaini, or you know some other odd call right as Iowa's driving that just kills the drive, and you end up with a field goal or something like that. I I'd have to go back through every drive to figure that out, but just you know you get a you get some momentum going, and then a play call just blows up a drive. You get a sack or lost yardage on first down by the running back. Just I don't know. And I know it's hard for everybody. Offense has been hard in the Big Ten for everybody this year, with the exception probably of Michigan and Ohio State to a degree. Um, but uh yeah, it's it it's it's the inconsistencies. That's a big part of it too, I think. It's that those wild swings, as you said, from Ohio State to Wisconsin in 2017. And um it's just those there's the consistency, um and the extremes, I think those are maybe the biggest downfalls of Brian Ferentz. And there's times where you're like, wow, he's got it. He's figured it out. And then, like you said, then the next week or the next series, you're like, God, what is he thinking? Um, so it didn't work, folks. And uh, that's the way it goes. Uh, HF Mill. It's a weird time to ask. This is from Dan Brockett at Freakademic and also a frequent contributor to the podcast. Uh, it's a weird time to ask, but with the likelihood of losing a lot of starters from the from this defense this offseason, do you think they finally take a step back? No, because <laughs> no, I thought that might happen this year, Dan. They lost Riley Moss. They lost Lucas Van Ness. They lost John Wagner. They lost Jack Campbell. They lost Seth Benson. They lost Kayvon Merriweather. That's six guys right there. All, aren't all those? Well, Wagner, I don't think is, but everybody else is in the NFL, right? Um, did they? No, Castro was playing Castro. And then Justin Jacobs went to Oregon too, um, but he didn't really play on last year's defense. But I, I don't see it. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to read your uh, – Lee, he's got uh, Logan Lee, Joe Evans. Joe Evans is definitely done. Um, and he's got um, Nick Jackson. He is definitely done on here. Um, but everybody – and Cooper DeGini's got on here too. He's gone. He's a first-round pick. So I'd say of the guys he has listed, Joe Evans, Nick Jackson are 
definitely gone. I would say 99% on Cooper DeGene. Um, Logan Lee could come back for a COVID year. I'm hearing he's done. Um, he's been married now for almost two years, and I think he wants to take his shot at the NFL. Makes a lot of sense. Kyler Fisher could come back for a COVID year. Sebastian Castro could come back. Jay Higgins can, could come back. Uh, Jamari Harris could come back. Um, Quinn Schulte come back. These are all guys that Dan has listed here. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, it, it depends on which of those guys come back. Um, but I'm not ready to predict that, predict that there's going to be a drop off because there wasn't last year. And I can make a pretty strong case that what they lost last year as a whole was more than they will lose this year, depending on which guys in this group leave. Um, but no matter who leaves, I think last year's losses were even better. I mean, you had two first round picks in Van Ness and, and Campbell. So yes, there could be a little bit of a drop off or a step back, but I would not, I would not bet on that, Dan. I just not with this, co- not with Phil Parker at the helm and what they, they're, the, how they've been able to develop guys. Um, big fan as a coach of Kelvin Bell uh, on the defensive line. Seth Wallace is a good coach, um, you know, football coach. So, uh, yeah, that's, uh, I, I don't see there being much of a drop off there. Um, Dan followed up with Blair Sanderson mentioning this about Harris. He came in the class in 2009, wake a fifth year senior. Yeah. Just remember, Dan, that all of these guys have COVID years, except the guys that have used their COVID years, like Joe Evans and Nick Jackson. All right. Um, E at NBA underscore fan underscore 2014, a Regular contributor to the podcast. Where do you think Petrus will end up now that he's in the portal? Are you surprised he's leaving? I'm not. Um, I guess if I was surprised, it would be that he was going to continue his football career. I think that was the goal when he had shoulder surgery last December. That would take him through this season to recover from. He's starting to get to that point now and starting to feel good. And he wants to, he wants to finish up. He's got another COVID year. I wasn't sure if he would want to keep playing or the experience and coaching this season would just kind of, you know, transition him into that. Cause I think he's going to be a coach and I think he'll be a very good coach. Um, just an incredible understanding of the game and probably knows Iowa's offense as, as well as any quarterback that's ever played in it. So very much a student of the game. Um, I don't know where he ends up, E. Um, it's going to depend on uh, who's in that transfer portal December 4th. I think it's December 4th that it opens. It's the Monday after the championship games. Um, who's in there? You know, who? how he compares to who's in there. You would think it's probably going to be, you know, a group of five type school. Maybe he goes back to California. Maybe he finds something in the FCS he likes. It's not, again, like I was talking about earlier about the, the fits for coaches, coaches being good fits in their jobs. It's also important for players. Uh, and I hope that's what Spencer finds, not just a place where he can compete for the starting job for a place where he connects with the coaches, where he connects with the, the players around him, where there's a um, situation, there's a dynamic there where, that will help him succeed. Um, 
That's what I hope for. And if that's FCS, fine. If that's a group of five, fine. If that's a lower FBS, fine. If it's power five, fine. It just doesn't matter. He just needs to find a place where he feels he can succeed um, because good players come from everywhere. They come from every level. So I wish him nothing but the best. One of the nicest kids I've ever covered in whatever, 27, my 27th season covering Iowa football. One of the nicest kids I've ever come across just handled himself uh, with incredible um, integrity, um, professionalism. Uh, he, like we've talked about before, um, and we're seeing it again this year, the quarterback answers more questions, I think, about the Iowa offense than anybody else because that's what he does. Brian Ferentz hasn't been available other than a couple times a year. Kirk is the the CEO, so he's answering questions about everything on the team. The quarterback is the one who takes most of the arrows and has taken most of the arrows the last three years, uh, and Spencer Peters took more than anybody else. I think that's it. Uh, I got one from Rich. Oh, he's got a score prediction for tonight's basketball game. I predict a lot of points. <laughs> I think both teams are averaging like mid nineties, which means it'll probably be in the sixties. Uh, I will. I'll take Creighton to win this one. What's I think I saw the point spread at like twelve and a half, which I think is too high, but I don't know. Um, if McDermott gets the chance, he's going to run it up Fran's rear end because he does not like the University of Iowa at all. Uh, and that goes back for a while, his UNI days and then Iowa State. And they stuck it up for Franz Viren when Doug was a senior when they played at Wells Fargo. That game was an embarrassment. I forget what year that was, 14 or 15. Um, but I sat courtside for that uh, destruction. Um, but I'm going to take – I will take Creighton 84-76. How's that sound? 84-76 Creighton tonight. Um but I'm interested to see how Iowa matches up. This is the first real test for this for this team, and for, for really the first real test for Creighton as well. Um, if you look at my feed on uh, Rob Howe HN on Twitter X, uh, I've got an advance for this game, which gives you a lot of numbers and history and things like that for this matchup. Uh, I think Iowa holds a 14 to 11 all time advantage in the series. Uh, but again, Creighton won that last meeting, which was, I can't remember, was it 16, 15, somewhere in that range because Devin Marble was on that team. So take you back there. Let me make sure I didn't miss anything or anybody telling me to go F myself. Um, let's find out where my, all right. Do, 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 do. Sometimes underneath. Nope. Looks like I got them all, folks. Um, Really appreciate all of you folks listening to this podcast and helping me to keep it going. Uh, it does pretty good numbers, so we'll continue on with it for as long as it does. So keep those questions and comments coming in. You guys have some great questions uh, and insight and different views and different angles on Iowa sports that sometimes I don't see. So I really appreciate that. I really appreciate our sponsors allowing us to bring you these podcasts for free, no Patreon or any of that stuff. Um, so yeah, thank you to everybody involved in this and involved in our podcast on the HF feed. Uh, we really appreciate it. Got some new sponsors coming in here that you'll hear from. So we'll keep rolling. 
Um, thanks again to everybody. Uh, and we'll talk to you Thursday on the Hotspot Podcast. Until then, peace.